This morning we'll be reading from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. In your pew Bibles, it's page 731. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman, a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain <coughs> moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. I loved Caroline's testimony. And did you hear that she said she no longer has to draw or color during the sermon? I just want to make sure we're all on board with that. Okay. So we're here to talk about passionate Jesus and the, the emotion of love. Gosh, there's so many ways you could unpack that as far as talking about the love of Jesus. But when we, you really want to explore it on a visceral level, on a feeling level, uh, three different uh, uh, images really emerge that we will deal with separately. Uh, first of all, Jesus feels compassionate love for us. Now, what was the nature of Jesus' compassion as recorded in the Gospels? How did he feel it? For whom did he feel it? It's interesting if you look at the Hebrew and the Aramaic words for compassion, they are rooted in a word that literally means womb. Fast forward to the New Testament time, and you have an interesting Greek word called splakizomai, which is the word for compassion, and it is rooted in a word for, well, some would say inner organs. It really means guts and, you know, what you feel in your guts when, when your stomach churns a bit, when you discern something that really causes you to have compassion, empathy for someone. It's interesting that the word in the New Testament, compassion, appears 12 times. And every time in the New Testament, it's only in the Gospels. And it's only referring to one person who has compassion for others. And indeed, it is Jesus find that very, very interesting. Now, for whom does he have compassion? Well, as you would imagine, it's those who are suffering, those who are marginalized, those who are on the outskirts of society. Go to Mark chapter 1. It says that he had compassion upon a leper. Go to Matthew 20. He obviously had compassion for the disabled. He has compassion for a blind man whom he heals. And for people in grief, you go to Luke chapter 7. 
And there's a woman who is in mourning over the death of her young son, and Jesus has compassion for her. Also for the powerless. You go to Matthew chapter 9, and it says that he had compassion for the crowds, quote, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He found reason to have compassion for all people. He hurt for them. But what's significant is that every time except one, his compassion is always moved to action, to ministry. There's a guy named Paco Amador, and and he is uh, a pastor in what's called Little Village on Chicago's west side. It's a terrible, terrible crime-ridden neighborhood. It's just rife with gang violence. Recently, he was invited to come and and lead a prayer vigil uh, over a young man who had been killed by a rival gang. There was a large crowd of young people who were gathered on this sidewalk where he was to go pray, and he really didn't know any of these people, and he thought, I don't really have any credibility among these people, and these are scary people, and what is this going to be like? And he said, I prayed to Jesus, Jesus, what should I say to these people? And as he looked at on the crowd, he realized, gosh, even these, though these people look pretty fearful, most of them are teenagers. They're young enough to be my kids. There might be one or two in their 20s, but other than that, I could be their father. And he thought, what would I say in the name of Jesus to help minister to them right now? And he asked the leader of this gang if he could speak from his heart, and he granted him permission. And this is what he said. He said, since most of you are half my age, I am the age of your fathers. Will you allow me to address you on behalf of your fathers? I know you have heard plenty of times that this back-and-forth violence in our neighborhood is complete nonsense. You've been told how destructive gang behavior is. But today, on behalf of your dads, I want to say to you what should have been said a long time ago. My son, my daughter, would you forgive me for not being there when you were little? Will you forgive me for not being there when you took your first steps? Will you forgive me for not being there to play catch with you when you were young? Will you forgive me for leaving you when you most needed me? And he said that, it, that as he started sharing this, the tears just, just started falling down his cheeks. And to his surprise, most every person who was gathered there on that sidewalk, supposedly hardened gang members, were weeping openly. And he said this, because it really led to a ministry that he was able to have for them. This compassion he had birthed something new. He said something special happened in that moment. Following the gathering, they started to trust me even though I had no credibility in their world. I hadn't shared their life, but I had shared their pain. I hadn't shared their life, but I shared their pain. And it birthed a ministry. But shouldn't we be ministering in the name of Jesus? That's what's amazing about Jesus. He shares our life and our pain. He feels everything that we feel. He didn't just feel it way back when in the first century. He feels it now. From grief to hurt, from the abandonment that a gang member could feel, to any kind of emotion that you feel. And he moves always from compassion to Ministry, we talk about how the things that break the heart of Jesus should break our hearts. Yeah, we hear that, and we can be moved in our guts. But we've obviously got to move from the mere emotion to action. In every case I found as I studied this, it was interesting because Jesus has compassion, and he moves on to minister to the person who is hurting, except one time. And it was interesting because as I read it, I thought, wow, this pulls us in. Let me read it. 
This is uh, Matthew 9, beginning of verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the, he's talking to the disciples here. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Who's Jesus talking about, you and me? He asks his disciples to pray for those who would go out and practice these acts of compassion, moving them from mere emotion to serving. They're praying that we would join them in these acts of compassion. It reminded me of that wonderful prayer that Teresa of Avila, if you've never heard of her, she was a 16th century Spanish mystic. And she wrote this brief prayer, almost poem really, called Christ Has No Body. And it goes like this, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which, with which he looks with compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks with compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. May we can feel Feel the compassion of Jesus that he feels for others. But may we always move from that compassion as an emotion to ministry in action. So thank God Jesus shows compassionate love for us, but takes it a step further as he took on the weight of our sin. He also restores us. He shows restorative love for us. You probably know that story at the end of the Gospel of John where Jesus restores Peter. It's just very interesting, especially if you study it in the Greek, because Jesus comes along and says, Simon, son of John, he's talking to Peter who denied Jesus three times only recently, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The word he uses for love there is agape, the highest form of love, that unconditional, boundless love that Jesus showed. Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And Peter says what? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But it's interesting. Peter uses the word phileo there. That's, that's a tamer word for love. Kind of a, a, a solid level lower. It's more brotherly, sisterly love, which is good, but it's not the word agape. It's almost as if, and I'm convinced what's going on there, Peter can't bring himself to use the word that Jesus utters because he realizes what he just did to Jesus not long ago. How can I say that I agape Jesus the way I treated him not long ago? But Jesus says, feed my sheep. And he asks Peter once again, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And again, Peter can't bring himself to use that highest of words for love. Agape, he says, Lord, I phileo you, I love you. Jesus the third time, this is so interesting, He lowers the standard in a sense. He says, Simon, do you love me? But this third time, he uses the word phileo. It's almost as if he is lowering the standard to where he can meet Peter, where where Peter is at that moment. Do you get that? And right after that, it says Peter was sad, and he says, Lord, you know everything. I think it's clear what Jesus is doing. He's, okay, I'm going to meet you here where you see yourself in terms of loving me right now. And Peter says, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And Peter, guess what? You're going to have an incredible ministry. 
And you're going to go out there as you follow me, and you're going to sacrifice your all. In fact, you're going to sacrifice your life. You're going to glorify God in a mighty way. And yes, upon this rock, I will build my church. And all you got to do is go to the book of Acts and see all the incredible things Peter did in his ministry on behalf of the gospel. All you got to do is go to First and Second Peter, those wonderful letters that he wrote that have such powerful, powerful truths in them. He was restored. And it was Jesus' love that restored him. Last Wednesday night, we were talking about confession and how confession can restore us and how God always wants to restore us. And I shared this quote from Philip Yancey. He said, self-exposure is never easy. And it isn't, is it? Self-exposure is never easy, but when I do it, I learn that underneath the layers of grime lies a damaged work of art that God longs to repair. Let me say that again. Self-exposure is never easy, but when I do it, I learn that underneath the layers of grime lies a damaged work of art that God longs to repair. Who would not want that reparation, that restoration, that deliverance from our brokenness, from our sinfulness, and, and what the Christian gospel of grace offers is unique to anything that's ever been offered? And who would not want it? I love the way Tim Keller puts it. I'm just going to read what he said. He said, when my wife was growing up, every summer her family spent two weeks at a small compound of cottages on the shores of Lake Erie. Now the cottages are all gone. In fact, that part of the beach is gone. Whenever she visits that childhood vacation spot, she weeps because she knows that that beach is irretrievable. That sense of irretrievability is like a death. And the older we all get, the more we realize that certain losses are irretrievable. They're gone, and that sucks the joy out of our lives. But here's where Christ's resurrection offers something unique, and he's right about this. Even religions that promise a kind of spiritual future or spiritual bliss only offer consolation for what you've lost. But the resurrection of Christ even promises the restoration of what you've lost. You don't just get your body back. You get the body you always wanted but never had. You don't just get your life back. You get the life that you always wanted that you never had But Jesus is walking proof that you will miss nothing, nothing. It's all coming in the future. It's going to be unimaginably wonderful. There is no religion, no philosophy, and no human being who can offer this kind of future. And as Christians, our hope for the future is based on the historical fact of the resurrection. So if you are not a Christian, let me ask, why wouldn't you want that? Even if you don't like certain aspects of the Christian faith, Why wouldn't you want this hope for restoration? You're not being honest with yourself if you don't want that. Do you want that? Not only does Jesus show compassionate love for us and restorative love, look at where it says part three. Jesus feels lavishing love from us. Now, what do I mean by that? Have you ever lavished love upon someone just almost like you wanted to show so many different ways how much you loved someone? You ever heard a good proposal story? You ever heard a good marriage proposal story that was a good example of lavishing love upon someone and it almost built and built and built? Well, we've got one for you this morning. Not here among us. Nobody's getting engaged in here. This is a wonderful video from the series by Bob Goff, uh, uh, Love Does. We, did, we watched this uh, in our equipping group that Deanna and I led. But I just think this is a great example of how someone just wanted to show how much they loved someone, and it built up and built up. It's just a wonderful story with a wonderful truth by Bob Goff. 
there's a path behind our house and friends and neighbors, other people walk along it. And I've met some terrific people here. And even a couple of them have shaped the way that I understand God. Let me tell you about a kid I met one day, and his name was Ryan. My wife, Sweet Marie, and I, we sit on the porch and wave to people, and they wave back to us as they walk by. This place feels like Mayberry, and I hope that you have a place like that, a place where you can feel like you can just be friendly with people. So we would wave to folks, and there was a kid that came walking down the, uh, the path, and what was different about him is that when he waved to us, I waved back, and he didn't leave. So I waved again, and he's waving at me. It's just kind of, you know that time we were just awkward? And so I went down to meet him, and I said, hey, my name's Bob. What's yours? And he said, my name's Ryan, and I'm in love. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> Who are you in love with? And he said, oh, no, 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 wait. There's this girl, and I want to propose to her. Could I propose to her in your backyard? Isn't that great? Have you ever asked something of someone that was just so big, so out there, but you didn't even realize how big and out there it was because you were so in love? And Ryan was that. He had this glazed-over look that guys get all the time. And, and so I said, Ryan, that would be terrific. You should definitely propose to your girlfriend in my backyard. And off Ryan went. He was touching down maybe every 30 feet as he was walking away. And, uh, well, a couple days later, Sweet Marie and I were on the back porch, and we're waving to people, and they're waving back to us. And down the path comes Ryan, and he's waving. And so I go down to greet him. I said, hey, Ryan, how's it going? And he said, you know, I was going to propose to my girlfriend in your backyard. Would it be okay if, before I proposed to her, we could have dinner on your porch? <laughs> I said, oh, that would be terrific. What can I make you? And you know what? Have you ever been that way that you just, you're asking just these crazy things, but you just aren't thinking about how crazy are they are because... Everybody feels like a co-conspirator with you. They feel like they're in because you're in. They must be in. And you know what? He had me. I was in. I said, that would be terrific. And off Ryan went, touching down. I bet he was every 50 feet this time. And so I'm coming home early from work now because I'm wondering, what does this kid have in my necks for this girl? And sure enough, down the path comes Ryan. And he, he says, you know what? Uh, after dinner, after all my friends are done serving us, would it be okay if we danced a little bit? Could you put some speakers out on the porch? I said, of course, that would be great. Can I play the bagpipes for you? And so Ryan is off again. And you know what? There's something beautiful that happens when you're so caught up in your love for someone that you want to find new and different ways to express it over and over again. Has that happened to you? And you just can't find enough ways to show this person how much they mean to you. Well, I'm, I'm sitting down by the bay now, hoping that Ryan will come by. And actually, a couple days went by and he didn't show up. And I felt this low-grade depression sinking in on me, right? I'm like, is that it? Is all the planning over? Like there's nothing more that could happen. And almost on cue, here comes Ryan. And this time he's running, totally winded. He's got his hands on his knees and he's breathing, trying to capture his breath. And I wanted to get the guy a paper bag to breathe into. And he said, do you have a boat? <laughs> I'm like, 
Ryan, I do. And he said, well, can I borrow it? I'm like, you want to borrow my boat? He's like, yeah. Have you ever had anybody that meant that much to you? There was like no limit to your imagination, your creativity, the things that you do, and you're not trying to win them over. You're just trying to express what's going on inside of you about them. And so I told Ryan, you know what? I do have a boat. Let me, I'll take you guys out. So here's what I did, though. I called the Coast Guard, and we hatched a plan. So the big night came. Ryan came walking down the path with this girl on his arm, and when they got to the house, they turned left, and she seemed kind of startled, and she whispered to him, like, is this okay? And he reassured her, like, it's all right. And they walked up the stairs and across the grass, and there was a table set up with candlelight. And they sat her down there, and then 20 of their friends came out and served them this terrific meal. And when the meal was over, they danced and they spoke quietly. And when it was all done, he took her by the arm again. He started walking out the dock. And at the end of the dock, I was sitting in the boat. And we took him across the bay. And out at the end of one of the jetties, there was a patch of sand and 40 of his friends were lined up there. And Ryan went up to the front of the boat and took a knee. And they started spelling out with candles like, will you marry me? I guess just in case he forgot, right? <laughs> what he didn't realize is that in all of this, a Coast Guard firefighting boat had pulled up behind us. And when she said yes, I gave the thumbs up and this guy from the Coast Guard shot off every cannon he had. And it, it was like a thousand small kisses raining down. We were all wet. Has that ever happened to you where somebody has tried to express to you the kind of love they have, the kind of things that have been going on inside of them for so long. It was like he wasn't trying to win her over by what he did. He was trying to show her who he was because of who she was to him. I learned a lot about God, I think by seeing the way that Ryan pursued this girl of his. He pursued her audaciously. He just pursued her incessantly. He just was, he knew what he wanted and he went after it over and over and over again. What if God did that when he was making the earth, whether he, he created the earth and then he came back and he said, you know what, I can make it better. I want to find new ways to express these people I call my beloved now. I want to express to them just all the things that I'm feeling about them, all the things I want for them, all the, I, the hopes I have for our future. And I just wonder if God didn't stop at creation, if he just continues to do that, even today. Think about the people he's dropped into your life, these circumstances you find yourself in, the opportunities that he's coming back over and over again because he's so over the moon about you and me that he says, I'm just not done yet, even now. Like, I'm just not done. What is he up to, and are we missing it? Are we missing that the God of the universe is nuts about us? I know when Ryan took a knee and he slipped this modest ring on this girl's finger and asked if she'd marry him, she didn't say yes because of all the things that he'd done. I think she reflected on all of these things that he'd done and she realized that, you know, this is just another reflection of who this guy is. And I think that's what we do. God keeps coming back into our lives. Think of the things that he's done. You know, like the things that he continues to do, all reflections of who God is. And so our question is, are we seeing it? And how do we respond? And 
And for a lot of us, we're just saying, yes, I'm in. That's who you are. And that's, I want who you are. I want a future with that. When was the last time you really reflected on God's audacious love for you, his extravagant love for you? He creates this universe. He creates this world. He creates you. And in spite of this keen awareness of your brokenness, he sends his very son here. And in spite of the fact that you continue to sin and let him down, he continues to restore you the way he restored Peter. This audacious unending, overwhelming love. Well, when was the last time we turned that and lavished our love back upon him? Which takes us to the passage that Chris and Jamie read just a moment ago. You have this Pharisee named Simon in Luke chapter 7, and he invites Jesus to dinner, and it has a lot of dignitaries there, clearly. It's one of those kind of stiff kind of affairs, and and, uh, Jesus is reclining at a table, and then a woman breaks into this uh, high society gathering and begins to weep, and her teardrops fall on Jesus' feet, and then she dries those tears with her hair, and then she anoints Jesus' feet with perfume, and Simon the Pharisee basically condemns her. And Jesus has something to teach him at that point, and let me begin at verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, now think about this, lavishing love upon Jesus. Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Interesting response. Have you realized this day how forgiven you are? Do you realize how indebted you are to Jesus? And have you offered this extravagant love back to him? I want us to do this and enter into a a discipline of meditation. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to ask you, when was the last time you realized how amazing it is that God created you? When was the last time you were just amazed... And how he goes so far out of his way to bless you each and every day. You woke up this morning with the breath of life again. You gathered here this day with friends, with family members. When was the last time you realized just how extravagant his love for you was by his dying on the cross for you? When was the last time you realized just how forgiven you are? I want you to just take a moment and marvel at his greatness and his goodness to you. And I just want you to take a moment and give thanks to him. And just as this woman in such uninhibited fashion, such unfettered fashion, she took the time to offer her love for him. Will you do that now just between 
yourself and him silently, just offer your love for Jesus, just as that woman did. Will you do that right now? of the intricacies involved in your creating us being fearfully and wonderfully made when we think about the wideness and the depth and the height of your love for us when we think about the ways that you grace us thousandfold each and every day how you have done so in the last week the last number of years last decades likely We have reason to stop and give thanks to you. To offer audacious love for you because of your audacious love for us. And we offer that to you now with humility and gratitude. Realizing how unworthy we are and yet you pick us up and love us anyway. We have such, such reason to praise you for all of that. There may be someone here this morning who feels led to uh, receive the love of Jesus into their lives, which has been offered every second that you've been alive, but have you received it? He's always taking the first step toward you, but will you receive it this day? You might feel led to publicly commit to him for the first time this this morning, and I'll, I'll be at the front representing this warm and loving church to greet you if you feel led to do that or to move your church membership or to be baptized, whatever decision it is that you have to make. Lord, we just ask that you be with anyone who feels led to do that this morning. And again, we just glorify you for your boundless love for us. May we savor it. May we lean into it. And Lord, may we share it with people. Even the very hardened people, Lord, may we share it with them. Regardless of how they respond, may we share it with them. It's the least we can do. Help us to do that. We pray these things in your name. Amen.